Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In the words of Naomi Wolf, motherhood is one of the most challenging and creative jobs anyone can do. But why then are mothers so often diminished or discriminated against in our culture? Why is the work of bearing and raising children often thought of as unimportant? And why are issues relating to motherhood and parenting so low on the political agenda? These are some of the questions that Maddie McMahon explores in her outstanding book, Why Mothering Matters. And on today's episode, we have the honour of speaking to Maddie about the art of mothering and why it does really matter. My name is Caroline Johansson, and you're listening to the podcast, To Become a Mother. So Maddie, you are a birth and postnatal doula, doula course leader and doula mentor. You're also a breastfeeding counselor, mother of two children, a stepmom of one, and the author of two books, Why Do Less Matter and Why Mothering Matters. So welcome, Maddie. It's really great to have you here on the show. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be here. You know, you are a woman of many accomplishments, but today we're speaking about your book, Why Mothering Matters. And really, it's a beautiful account of what it means to become a mom, and also, I guess, a call for a bit more recognition of the work that mothers are doing on a daily basis. And when I read your book, it really resonated with me because when I became a mom, I just went through such a transformational shift. And I, I was thinking, God, why did no one tell me? How can, how can this happen to so many women? And there's so little discussion about it. And you mentioned in your book, you talk about the transformational shift that we go through as mothers and you say it's just it's emotional it's physical and it's hormonal I was hoping that you could uh, explain that a little bit more what is it that happens to us when we have children that's a really good question and it's a really enormous question and (laughs) and it's related very much to the other rites of passage that uh, women go through you were saying that you, know, you didn't know and nobody taught you anything. We weren't taught about how our bodies work during puberty either, were we? Um, and we're not taught about what will happen to our bodies when we go through menopause. So pregnancy and the postpartum is another rite of passage, another enormous thing, transformation that mm. to our bodies that is veiled. And it, you know, is, is hidden 
and is somehow seen as something not quite nice that shouldn't be spoken about in polite company, especially, I think, because these things are about parts of the female body that are seen as taboo. Mm. We might get told after we have a baby that our uterus is going to take some time to shrink back to its previous size. We might not get told that those contractions might hurt, especially if we've had a baby before. We probably know that we're going to make milk after the baby's born, even if we don't intend to use that milk, but we probably won't get told anything much about that, about what's technically called lactogenesis to the the milk coming in and the engorgement that that can cause. We're probably not told that during pregnancy, our blood volume has increased massively and that we're going to have to get rid of all of that extra fluid from pregnancy and that we might have night sweats. We're definitely not told very much about lochia, the bleeding after childbirth, Yeah, how long that might last, what we should expect in terms of how heavy it should be and what it should look like and when to be worried. All of this stuff we have to learn on the hoof, in the moment as we're Mm. going through it, at a time when our brains also have the cognitive builders in. You talked about physical changes, but also um, cognitive changes are going on. We're going through a massive learning curve. Our brains are making new brain cells, new grey matter that is creating new neural pathways for all of the new tasks. Wow, so your brain is actually growing in that. that's right. So, you know, we talk about baby brain and like, you know, it's a negative, it's almost insulting uh, that when you get pregnant, when you've had a baby, somehow your brain is not going to be working as efficiently. And colleagues at work might, um, you know, they might ridicule you, you because you're not as effective uh, with your brain anymore. But actually what's happening is there's, um, I always like to think of it as like you're, it's more than just having new wallpaper. You have got the builders in and they're knocking down walls and doing a complete revamp of yeah. your house totally. And so during that time, Obviously, everything feels a bit discombobulating. You might not feel like you're, you're functioning on your A game. But once that whole process is done, your house is beautiful and it's going to work for you much more effectively and efficiently. Um, How long time does that um, process take? You know what? I don't know. I don't know, but certainly a lot of mothers talk about feeling like they come out of the fog at some yeah. point and uh, typically on all sorts of level, a turning point seems to be when the child is about three. Oh, that's quite late, yeah. We are possibly, hopefully, getting a little bit more sleep by then. Mm-hmm. We've come out of the chrysalis. We've grown our mothering wings We're feeling a bit more competent. Brain function has improved. We've got a rhythm. We've found our new normal. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully we're beginning to take those first steps into really feeling into 
what our new identity is as as mother, as parent, as um, no longer the baby of the family. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a whole new way of looking at yourself and mm. looking at the world. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that of course that's going to, to take a while. This is not something that happens in a few days or, or a few weeks. No, but at the same time, it seems to happen also very quickly in a very short space of time. You have, um, it's almost like as soon as the baby is born or even when you're pregnant, like that's, that's actually a very short space of time that you suddenly feel so different and view yeah. the world already then so differently. Exactly. And that isn't mother nature wonderful that she gives us these incredible hormones that help us get pregnant in the first place, help get the baby out and then create a safe place for that baby. Uh, and almost immediately the baby is born. Mm. We're having these massive peaks of oxytocin. And oxytocin is a, is such an interesting hormone. It's famous for it being the hormone of love. That's what everyone goes on about. This is the hormone of calm and connection. It's going to, it bonds us with our, partners so that we can conceive the baby it bonds us with our baby once the baby is born it helps um milk flow um but also what oxytocin does is make us um incredibly vigilant so we're we're totally like what's that over there is that a tiger creeping up on me and my baby so high levels of oxytocin can actually make us feel quite anxious so a lot of mothers in the early days will talk about feeling quite anxious, checking the baby all the time. We all remember that prodding the baby. Are you still breathing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah. or kind of wanting to grab the baby back from Auntie Doris who smells yeah. of perfume and feeling really angry and anxious about things that other people are, don't appear to be bothered by. So that's stepping us into that mothering role really quickly fueled yeah. by those chemicals and it also explains why uh, particularly those first few weeks you can go from incredibly highs to the lowest lows very quickly and without really knowing and i guess it's because there's so much oxytocin maybe you react anxiously and very happily at the same time Absolutely. It's a time of complete contradictions, really. And, and obviously, as well as the oxytocin, your estrogen and progesterone hormones from pregnancy are dropping exponentially in those first few days. So that can be a real, oh, as you, as you hit rock bottom. And then obviously, then your, your milk comes in and that can be a really emotional day. But with that comes prolactin and prolactin is, is the mothering hormone. It's the one that whilst, you know, every, it's famous for being the maker of milk, prolactin. Um, it's also the hormone that makes us feel really zen, really, and really sleepy. It's a soporific yeah. hormone. Um, so that helps us go back down into sleep really easily um, in the middle of the night when we've fed our babies. Um, mm. And that's really protective, obviously, because sleep deprivation is one of the killers of mental health. Yeah. And something that I think, even though we have that hormone with the lack of sleep, that can be quite difficult if you don't have enough support and people helping you in those early days. So 
you wrote this book about why mothering matters. But my question is, why did you feel that that book was necessary in today's world? It was born out of frustration and anger, really. Um, I think when I started thinking about writing that book, I'd been a doula for about 15 years and a breastfeeding counsellor for about 13 or 14 years. And it's just really boring and really frustrating to listen to the same stories over and over again of my clients losing jobs or losing out on their promotions or being swept sideways at work while they're on maternity leave or having to grapple with hard choices that men don't have to choose when they be become parents. Do I stay at home? Do I carry on working? Um, and that's and just having that choice is a privilege for some of my clients. Actually, when they did their sums for childcare, there was absolutely no financial point staying at work. At work, so if they were going to stay in that in that career in that job, then it would be doing it for free for three years until they could get some state-funded childcare, just to stay on the same place on the ladder at work. And that just, just has always struck me as incredibly unfair. Mm -hmm. I have a probably an overinflated sense of justice. It's got me in trouble a lot in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I just wanted to to shout about it really. Motherhood is something that hasn't actually been politicized. Mm. It's overlooked a lot by politicians it's overlooked a lot by you know social movements like feminism massive feminism feminist been a feminist since the 80s when i was at university and discovered you know fledgling intersectional feminism that was really just starting to come into the philosophy of a female emancipation at that time but as soon as i became a mother i realized that actually Everything that feminism was saying about the personal being the political didn't seem to apply to what was going on for me right now, having babies. The feminism that I grew up with was all about not having those kids hanging on your apron strings. Yeah. Being as good as the men, having all of the same opportunities as men and denying our biology. Let's just push it aside and pretend it's not there and actually I think that was absolutely playing into the patriarchal paradigm got us to go to work and and benefit the economy which benefits patriarchy and there's also this um, narrative in our society at least in the circles where I hang out that talking about things relating to motherhood or raising babies are seen as quite trivial and you know your career those are like the hard things the things to focus on and I completely agree with you that that's denying a huge part of the female existence to not accredit that any weight 
in the Royal Society. Absolutely. And I think we're pushed, we're pushed all the time into binary discussions about female life choices. People will often ask me, I read your book, Maddie. So what do you think? Should women stay at home with their children in the early days or should they go to work? And I just say, oh gosh, I probably need to write the book again then if you haven't got the message that the only thing I believe is that you should have true freedom of choice Mm -hmm. and that whatever you choose, society should be supporting you in that. Not just clap, clap, clap supporting you, but actually practically supporting you in a way that lots of other countries, subsidised childcare and financial help to stay at home with your children if that's what you what you want yeah lots of other countries realize that if you support mothers then you support children in the early years and if you support children in the early years then you support your society you support your economy uh, and everything everything flows from there but in the UK we've got it completely topsy-turvy if anything is cut it's early years provision it appears to not matter. They think, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, have any effect. We've got to put, you know, lots of emphasis on schooling and university, or you know, all of the other things. But not to three is always forgotten, and maternity is always forgotten. Yeah, and we're recording this in the summer of twenty twenty, and. Uh... What I've noticed is that in the conservative leadership contest, there's been very little conversations about childcare, which I think says a lot about the priorities and, and the values you assign to this. So no, I completely agree with you. And this also leads us into my other question. You say in the book that becoming a mother in today's world feels more complicated and painful than ever. Are you able to elaborate on that a little bit more? There's so much going on, isn't there? On one level, when I think about my grandmother's and my great-grandmother's generation, I feel lucky that I have the freedom and the choices that they didn't have. But they also had social mores that were were very strict. They had a moral and ethical framework that went with being part of a religious community. And so they knew, they knew what was going to happen to them. They knew that at every turning point in their life, there would be a ritual or a ceremony to ease them through that passage. Mm. They knew what would happen to them when they had a baby. Not the actual physical, you know, my grandma had no idea how babies came out of bodies until it Mm. happened to her. Um, but she knew what would happen in terms of her mother would come, everybody in the street would bring food, everyone would help. She knew that she could rely on that community support. She knew how old her baby would be when she went back to church for the first Sunday after staying at home, after the baby was born. She knew what would happen when she died. She knew where she was going to be buried. Everything was mapped out. And whilst our generation reacts quite vociferously against that kind of mapped out life course, what it provides is certainty Mm. and social support. 
everyone knew in those days that you could expect that social support when you had a baby and it was expected for you to pay it forward. Mm. These days, we have freedom and choices. And with that comes life wobbles. What do I do? How do I do this for the best? And how do I do this when I've no longer got that community? So many of us live just in a nuclear family. We have our mm. partner and that's it. We move around for jobs, maybe. Mm. So we, we met so many of us live in places where we didn't grow up. Mm. We don't have those roots. We don't have Auntie Doris living next door anymore. And we don't have the family relationships of trust that we used to have. I often say that it's really easy to look back in history and say, oh, you know, it was a golden age. There, there were probably all sorts of the same problems as there are now that I see in my clients in terms of you know, relationships with family and how those play out around the time that a baby is being born. But I do think that we have lost a lot along the way. That that isolation we know is a uh, a risk factor for postnatal depression. Whilst we have um, probably moved further away from our family physically, um, nowadays there is social media, the internet. What do you think about that as a substitution for having family close by? I don't think social media is any different to any other aspect of life. If I went into a town square with my newborn baby and shouted to everybody, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. I don't know what to do for the best right now. Can anyone help me? You would get a combination of people ignoring you, people telling you you should know better, or yes. this is what I did, so it's probably the best thing. And the old person coming up and saying, how are you feeling? Would you like to sit down? Can I get you a drink? Tell me more about it. Um, social media is exactly the same. It is, um, it can be a minefield, but it can be absolutely amazing. So what I try to do with clients is help them develop the skills of assessing who's helping you. Because, yeah, not all advice is created equal, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no. I uh, do need to assess them before you take them sometimes. But you do talk in your book, too, about the importance of being well-supported as a mom. How do you think? Do you think we support mothers well in today's society? And I guess this is quite connected to what we've just spoken about. <laughs> no, we don't do it. <laughs> On all kinds of levels, we don't. And actually, I need to go back and add another chapter to that book because it's worse. It's much worse since, since I wrote it. Maternity services is, uh, are, are falling apart. And so mothers are starting out on the journey, more likely to be traumatized, more likely not to have been loved through the, the process. They might have been kept clinically safe. You know, they've come out alive. But that appears to be the pinnacle of our aspirations mm. for parents and babies right now is put them through this conveyor belt and churn them out the other side alive. Tick. 
But that, you know, that's the bare minimum we should be expecting for our new parents and the smallest, most vulnerable members of our society. So no, they're not getting good maternity care. In many cases, they're not getting any postnatal care whatsoever. And if they are getting any, they have to get off their sofas and get to the hospital in order to be checked. Mm. And that's bad enough if you're a privileged middle class family who can get in your car. But imagine if you have to get on a bus, still bleeding, maybe having had a major surgery four or five days beforehand with your brand new baby. It's just not acceptable. And then, you know, as I was saying before, it doesn't get any better. Uh, we walk around in a society that damns us if we do and damns us if we don't, whatever choice we make. Bottle feed, you feel like people are judging you. Breastfeed, people tell you to put your tits away. Stay at home, oh, you're just a stay-at-home mum, oh, dear me. Go to work, oh, don't you miss your children? Don't you think your children would be better off if you stayed with them in the early years? Don't you worry about them? you know, not getting the benefit of your mothering if you send them to preschool. It's just never ending, isn't it? And with the breast and bottle feeding, um, you also mentioned that when women are pregnant, there's a, a lot of messages thrown at them about the importance of breastfeeding and that they should breastfeed. But then it's suddenly like they they give birth, there is an issue, and then there's a U-turn. It's like, well, just just get the formula. And I was wondering why you think that is, if it's only a question of lack of resources to have the support available to women to help them breastfeed if that's what they want to do? Mm-hmm. Or is it, you know, a, a cultural issue, you know, something deeper, something else? It's everything. I think the politics of infant feeding is one of the most complex subjects and really hard to even touch the surface of in a short podcast like this. But we have some social attitudes that have become embedded in the last few generations. Since formula was invented, since women started routinely working outside the home, formula has been sold to us as a scientific advance on nature, a way of not being tied to our children and being free to make the life choices that we want to make for ourselves and pursue our careers just like the men. And I get it. I get that. Absolutely, I do. But unfortunately, we haven't been able to invent something that is a scientific advance on nature. So whilst most children will be absolutely fine on formula, um, there are overpopulations, risks to formula feeding. So we have these social attitudes. We have attitudes about breasts in many Western European countries that is very different to the rest of the world in terms of them being seen as as sexual organs, whereas in many countries they're not at all. They're just seen as things you feed babies with. So the whole the whole thing about getting them out in public has people tied up in knots. <laughs> It's very intimidating. Yeah, it can be. It can be at first, especially when, yeah, when you know that there are people out there who can be quite angry when you do it. There's a whole history there. There's a whole kind of unpicking of long held social attitudes. And then all of that history and all of those social attitudes 
are jumped on by very, very clever madmen in the, you know, in the marketing arena. You know, when I talk about madmen, I'm talking about the TV program. You know, the, they're thinking really cleverly, how can we market this product? How can we embed these presumptions and social attitudes in people? For example, the idea that fathers need to bond with their babies. I was just thinking about By that. giving them a bottle. Yeah actually came from an advert for formula milk in the 1950s in America. Before that, we that hadn't occurred to us because, well, before we invented bottles and formula, dads definitely loved their kids. Yeah. I've heard stories about women just pumping milk because it's so important to their husbands that they get to feed a baby too. And I was thinking that it's just... Um, ludicrous what how time consuming isn't that how complicated and you're taking away the benefits of you know one of the main benefits is that it's quite easy just to give the breast to a baby exactly so what a brilliant example of women being made to expend physical and emotional labor in order to provide something to a man because he thinks that that's his he's entitled to that yeah but do you think there is enough taking that aside like is there enough support for women no if they want to breastfeed absolutely not we you know as i say in the book we put this kind of moral thing on them during pregnancy i know that almost every health professional would say, oh, we don't lay any kind of pressure on them in pregnancy. We just provide them with facts. But what the women are walking away with is, oh, it's better. It's better to breastfeed. I should do that. Everybody expects me to. If I don't, I'm a bad mother. People are going to judge me if I don't. That's the message that they're receiving. And so dutifully, when the baby's born, they try to breastfeed. And of course, layered on top of that is a biological urge. So mm. there's all of this stuff going on that they're not really aware of, they're conscious of because it's encoded in our DNA to put the baby to the breast or want to. So all of that's going on, but simultaneously, there's actual sabotage. There's ignorance, bad advice, lack of time, lack of skill in the people who are caring for them. And so the rug's pulled out from under their feet. And what really makes me furious is that I talk to mothers and birthing people all the time who then are bearing the guilt for that. Mm. They feel that they failed. They feel that they were responsible for their baby not getting their milk. And that breaks my heart because they they were failed. They were absolutely sabotaged. Yeah, I completely agree. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Another question that I had for you is about the society we live in now where it's so easy to read things on the internet. There's a lot of information available when you become a mom. A lot of advice is given everywhere. And in one way, that is you know, a huge benefit to living in the age that we live, that this is readily available. But it also leads to, I suspect, a lot of confusion sometimes when the advice is contradictory. What is your take on this society that we live in now where adv- advice is so prevalent and readily available? I think on one level, it's absolutely wonderful. And I see the beginnings of a revolution. I see the beginnings of women and parents in general just stepping into their own power. They're realizing that they're getting less and less support from the state and that they can't just relax into the beautiful arms of the NHS to, you know, to love and nurture them through the process. That's not there. So they've got to stand on their own two feet and do their research and think about what they want and how they're going to get it. Um, and there's some amazing stuff going on out there with parents coming together and supporting each other and people, midwives, doulas, breastfeeding counsellors, providing them with the information and the choices uh, that they need to really own their own journey and um, become the parents that they feel happy and comfortable with. But I also see a lot of confusion. I see a lot of people asking a question on social media and then a long thread, as you say, of completely conflicting, well, I did this and I did and I did that. So I think as social media goes forward, Ordinary people are going to have to learn some skills, the skills of being able to communicate in a way that helps people make their own choices. So rather than saying, I did this, this is what you should do, it can be so much more useful to say, well, some people do it like this and some people like to do it like that. Both of those have some pros and cons and Both of those, neither of those might suit you, your personality, your lifestyle, your family circumstances. 
maybe you could go and read this because it's going to give you some facts and some evidence and some the scientific basis for for your choices. Whatever you choose is going to be right for you. That's the ethos that doulas have. That's how we support people. In fact, the word advice is kind of pretty taboo <laughs> in the doula world because it implies telling people what to do. So maybe if we're all going to get on well in social media without there being big rows and pylons and people being upset and stomping off, we could all just maybe learn a few teeny tiny little skills of communication that are supportive rather than dictatorial. Yeah, it, it also applies, I think, to uh, parenting books, because when I read them, I was very confused. You know, there was the attachment theory books where basically I wasn't allowed to put my baby down. And then it was the hardcore sleep training books. And both of them, you know, whatever camp you were reading, they were certain that they were right. And they felt like there was quite a lot of value attached to it from their perspective. You know, you, this was the right way and it's the only way. So yeah, those parenting books would leave me totally confused. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I absolutely hear you. And it's something that really grates on a lot of us working in this world, the way that some of those books, many of those books, are written and how a lot of those books are written by people who have absolutely no credentials. I'm a celebrity who's had a baby, so I'm just going to write a book and tell you how to do it my way, which is valueless, absolutely valueless. Parents need to be able to find their way. So actually, we need books and we need people out there encouraging parents to take the eclectic way. Like this is these are some way, these are some eth parenting ethoses, these work for some people, this works for other people. Let's try some things. Let's experiment. And not only look and see how our kids get on with that, but how does it feel in our, in our tummies? You know, if we do something and actually you get that funny feeling in your tummy and it feels wrong, don't do it. I think that's really good advice because if you can trust your own instinct or lean into that a little bit more you probably end up being less worried of doing something wrong because if you're just pinning everything on what you've read and the advice you have it's you know you feel like you're following this map and if you step away from that it's it's catastrophic and it's all wrong. absolutely you you are the pinnacle of millions of years of evolution you know how to do this it's encoded in your dna and the problem comes when somebody comes along and tells you to do something that's against your instinct. Mm. You talk in the book about women, for economic reasons primarily, they decide to have children later and later in life. And um, obviously there are some fertility issues associated with that. Um, the longer you wait, the more of a risk there might be. Um, it could be more difficult to conceive. But you also mentioned some other things that can be problematic when you wait until you get older to have children. Are you able to talk a bit about what those are? I think there can be some negative social attitudes. So it always makes me laugh, really. There's a really narrow window in British culture where we're allowed to have babies. If you're too young, 
then, you know, you're a tart who's got up the duff and you're probably a single mum who's like just got pregnant to get a council house. Mm. And then if you're old, then you're going to be a drain on society and, you you know, you're not going to be able to have a baby and you're going to have to have IVF and that's going to cost the NHS loads of money and then you'll be dead before your kid goes to university. So there's just like, what, three years in the middle where we're actually allowed to have babies? Yeah. So there's all of those social attitudes that my clients who are over 40 have probably had to contend with when they get pregnant. And then, you know, there's, they've had a long time to be who they are. So, you know, obviously, you know, we talked earlier about how that, that whole identity shift that happens when we become parents. Well, obviously, if you've been in this identity for a long time and then a baby comes along, that shift is, you know, that it can be, it can be a shock. Um, we talk about baby shock. And it is a thing and it's much more likely. It's something that I notice much more in my older clients, just reassessing who they are and their whole life uh, when this baby comes along. And then, you know, they have to contend with feeling like being made to feel like they have fewer choices when it comes to how they have the baby with, you know, being called elderly with this dusty old womb that's going to fall apart and not be able to push a baby out. So why don't we just schedule you for a, an elective cesarean love? And that can be really disappointing for women who maybe who had dreamed of giving birth in other ways. And it's hard to tease out the facts from maybe just the entrenched preconceptions and attitudes of obstetricians because because it seems to me that if we are intervening in older women's pregnancies more then how do we know what they're capable of and when we intervene more we often create the very risk that the doctors say they were worried about in the first place if we worry that women's old wombs will bleed more, then why are we inducing them and putting stress on those uteruses? Or why are we cutting into those uteruses? Um, it doesn't make any sense to me. So there is a, there's a lot of, um, a lot of pressure that they're under. And yes, you know, maybe if you're a little bit older, you're more likely to perhaps have gestational diabetes will already be diabetic or to have other health concerns but I can tell you that if you talk to any doula they will tell you stories of mums who've been told all of this doom and gloom about being over 40 who've had beautiful ecstatic births at home or in midwife-led units without any need for medical intervention if that's what they wanted so I think the default is let's trust our bodies. Let's, let's see what they're capable of. And we're really lucky that we've got the medical professional there if we need them. Thank you so much. It's been a lovely, lovely conversation. It's so refreshing to hear your perspective on what it means to be a mother. So thank you. You're so welcome. It's been fun. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.